I'm Dr. Scott Lyons, and you're watching or listening to The Gently Used Human. In a world that's rapidly evolving, one aspect of being human remains steadfast, the craving for meaningful connections. But what happens when the hustle of modern life and the echoes of a pandemic and the complexities of adulting intertwine, transforming and challenging the landscape of friendship, both building them and maintaining them? Well, today we delve into the heart of the intricate maze of adult bonding with two extraordinary guides, Vanessa Bennett and Danae Logan. Vanessa, a licensed holistic psychologist and best-selling author, marries her expertise in depth, Buddhist, and yoga psychology to illuminate the path towards authentic connections. Meanwhile, the incredible Danae Logan, a marriage and family therapist, yoga teacher, and author of the upcoming book, Sovereign Love, offers a depth psychology perspective on reclaiming our true selves in relationships. Ugh, these are two of my favorite therapists. Together, we'll explore the polyamorous nature of friendships, the ingredients that make the cake of friendship so rich, and the importance of emotional intimacy. Expect to dive deep into the dynamics of drama bonding versus trauma bonding and the generational understanding of resilience. Are you ready to redefine friendship and explore the transformative power in our lives? <laughs> well then, let's be friends. Danae and Vanessa, welcome back to the Gently Used Human. Yay. And we're doing it in person. And all together. And all together. And I'm so excited because I have interviewed both of you separately mm. and you come as a pair typically. Yeah, we do. And we do. so <laughs> we are bringing the team all back together. The A-team. The A-team. This is the A-team. Instantly with each of you, I felt, I'm like, oh my gosh, these are my new best friends. Aww. And then I thought about it and I was like, oh, maybe it's just that the potential for good friends is here. Mm. And I was like, that led me to do this episode with you because mm. I'm like, well, what is the potential for friendship? And then how do we actually seal the deal? Mm. We're all therapists. Yeah. <laughs> how the hell do we make friends? <laughs> right? I feel like we get asked this question, at least I do, by adults a lot. Yeah. Well, in my case, because yeah. I'm extremely introverted, yeah. I sit and look awkward until an extrovert comes and picks me up and takes me under their wing, which is actually how Vanessa and I found each other. You were just like sitting in a corner twiddling your thumbs. Looking <laughs> horrified. <laughs> and Vanessa sat down and just started talking to me like we'd known each other our entire lives. And I was like, first of all, it was like this angel because it was the first day of grad school. And I was like, back when you're in high school or whatever and you don't yeah. know anybody and all the awkward tension. And then Vanessa just came up and she was like this beaming, beautiful angel, like, hi. And I was like, oh my gosh, this girl is just like talking at me. But instantly it was like, she just kind of like adopted me. It was really sweet. And then we had to leave the cafeteria area and I was like, all right, we're going, right? You coming? She's like, you ready? I was like, yeah, let's go. I guess we're friends now. And you haven't separated since basically. Pretty much. Inseparable since. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. It's kind of how I make friends. That it, how do you make friends for this? <laughs> I'm an extrovert, so I literally am like, oh, you. Okay, we're friends now. <laughs> I choose you. I choose you. 
I choose you. It's like a Pikachu. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do. Yeah, I choose <laughs> so you, Pikachu. I. I choose my house, house right now. That's oh, yes. it's all the rage. It's all Pikachu all the time. Pokemon for is six year olds. Oh, you have a six year old. Yeah, that's right. So Pokemon is the jam. Oh my god, it's life. I can't believe it's come back. It's so mm. weird. It was my, my brother's jam. This was like in the nineties. I used to watch Full it as circle. a kid. Yeah, in the nineties, <laughs> as a young kid. <laughs> So you get asked that question a lot of like, how do we make friends? Mm. Yeah, I think that right now, I feel like especially post-COVID, yeah. I think people are really struggling, right? People mm -hmm. are lonelier than ever. Everything is social media and digital, which is great. I mean, we can meet people that way, right? Yeah. That's how we all met. Yeah. But it doesn't always completely compute, right? Like yeah. it's not exactly the same thing as having an in-person relationship with somebody. Yeah. And a lot of my clients are struggling with loneliness, you know? So mm -hmm. whether that's dating or whether that's making friends or whether that's, what are my hobbies, mm -hmm. you know, at 30 something years old and I, I don't even know who I am. What do I really like doing? Yeah. I think these are a lot of the questions that I've been having with my clients after COVID, since COVID. And how do you start to navigate it? Yeah, I think it's harder as adults. Yes. Especially when we used to have so much of our social circle sort of intertwined with our work life yeah. and that's changed for so many people and yeah. people are working virtually and it's like feeling like it's not really going back to what it was yeah. in a lot of instances. And so what I really suggest to a lot of clients is for me, building community tends to be around like-minded seekers. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so yeah. when I taught and practiced in yoga studios, like I would make a lot of friends that way. Vanessa and I lead retreats mm -hmm. and we find that people come interested in having the same conversations and they leave and it's like their chosen family and they're doing mm. Friendsgivings together. And I think following the things that bring you a sense of aliveness, yeah. you will inevitably be attracted to people who have the same sort of interests and you vibe and it yeah. just like yeah. feels natural, you know. So that bonding through shared interests. Mm -hmm. Something I found for myself, and maybe it's me, but like as I got older or as I've gotten older, I feel like I had more friends when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And then it got to a point where it's like, okay, these are the friends I'm moving forward in my life with. Mm -hmm. And you kind of narrow it down because you're diverting or you're getting more specific in your interests yeah. as well. And then as I've gotten even older, that's thinned out a bit. Mm -hmm. And when I got back, I was stuck overseas during COVID. I missed the last plane getting into the US oh and was in Australia for nine months until wow. they started flying again. Wow. And I came back and all my friends had moved out of New York. Mm -hmm. And, you know, granted it was, there weren't a lot of things weren't open, but I was like, I don't know how to make new friends. Mm -hmm. It's been nice to meet new people, but mm -hmm. I, I wanted to really like get into the weeds of what do we do? Like, yeah. So find things that bring us together, mm -hmm. what else? Yeah, I mean, that's tough because you do have that group of people. Most of us have a group of people who we kind of came up with, yeah, yeah. right? Who you became friends with yeah. out of convenience or yeah. like you were saying work. You were together when you were young. And so you had shared experiences of growing up together. It's been hard for me moving as an older person, right? I yeah. moved in my early 30s to a brand new city yeah. from New York to LA. And I always say like the majority of my chosen family is still in New York, mm. right? So yeah. it was tough for me coming out here and each city has its own flavor and its own kind of way of relating. And LA is very, people are very isolated here yeah. in a way that they're not in New York, yeah. right? Like in New York, you find that you just bump into people like on the subway, on the street, let's grab coffee, let's go for a drink. And here everyone's in their car mm. and you'll 
live an hour away from each other. And so you got to plan a big to do in order to get together for a coffee. It's got to be like on the calendar, you know, and it's a very different way. And so I also think sometimes people, how do I say this? It's like, I'm not saying move based on that, but I do think that cities are introverted cities, extroverted cities, mm. like there's vibes with cities. Mm. And I do think that sometimes we gel more with certain areas that we live. Yeah. Not that I'm saying I would bail out on LA right now, but for sure, New York is more my personality. Yeah. And so even as an extrovert, I have struggled in my 30s to make friends and really have leaned on what you've said, which is leaning on the people who I have these shared kind of interests with. Mm -hmm. But I've talked to clients about specifically getting involved in things that do light them up, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, you don't have to go back to grad school and spend $100,000 to make friends, but you could. (laughs) But, you know, things like whether it's the gym or whether it's, I don't know, pottery class or whether it's a martial arts, like something that you find a passion in, but then you have to be open yeah. To the people. You have to be open to making friends. And yeah. I think that's harder for some reason when we're older. Yeah. To not just go and do your thing and then leave. Yeah. Yeah. But you've got to really put yourself out there. And I would say that for introverts, that's probably a little harder. For me, that feels like no skin off my, you know, my, my back, but I know that it's a struggle for you. Yeah. But I think a part of it too is the way that we've been living in terms of our nuclear family structures mm-hmm. and that so many Ooh, people, yes. what I saw in COVID was by necessity, so many people started talking to their neighbors and people that mm. lived across the street from them that had they'd never met. And it was like, okay, I have to work yeah. and I have kids and you have kids. Could we figure something out to help each other out? Because this is like impossible and yeah. we can't do this. And what I've found so fascinating about even watching you and like your neighborhood, mm-hmm. Vanessa has people across the street that they'll take turns watching each other's kids. And I think we've gotten away from that as a society in a way that's really been detrimental to our mental health from my Mm -hmm. perspective, because it's like, we weren't meant to live in these little boxes away from one another, not knowing one another. And we are so isolated and feeling lonely. It becomes a little bit like looking around a little bit more and saying, who are the people in my neighborhood? (laughs) And can I maybe say hi? And we've never met, but can we get to know each other? If I have a barbecue, maybe yeah. I invite some neighbors, things like that. Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. I love that. I mean, one of the things I find interesting is the friends I still have from when I was younger, they're memory keepers. Yes. And you can not see each other for six months and you know they know you. Yes. On this like deep level, they've been through these experiences with you for a long sustained amount of time. Yeah. And then when you meet new people, it's like, well, they're not how long does it take to become a memory keeper? Because that Mm. to me is like the pinnacle of friendship. Hmm. And as I get older, and even as I date, I'm like, oh, well, my ex-ex-ex a couple times ago, they were a memory keeper. Mm. I went through my adolescence Mm -hmm. and like young adulthood with them. That's significant. I mean, I feel like when I used to work with adolescents, I used to talk about this a lot. And Denise heard me say this where – Especially at that age, everything is a level 11 when you're an adolescent, right? Like everything is life or death. Everything is dramatic. And look, it's just it's just where we're at in our development, yeah. you know, yeah. no shade. But so many of the kids would come in and they would just be devastated by or working through the loss of this relationship yeah. or the transition of that relationship. And it was just such a big thing for them. And so one of the things I started talking to them about was this idea of people are in box is on the shelves, Mm. right? And so all of the friends, and I'm going to say air quotes, friends, 
live in boxes on the shelf. So if I am in the mood to go see live music and to like go to a bar and to be social, Danae is probably not the box on the shelf that I'm going to take down, right? Like I have friends that are in that box. Yeah. But if I want to sit around and talk about dismantling the patriarchy, my friends who I'm going to (laughs) go are dancing with, right, are not going to be the box on the shelf I pull down. It's probably going to be Danae. And so I also think it's important for us to, I'm not, necessarily advocating, again, I know that I'm coming at this from a more extroverted point of view. I'm not saying we need to have a shitload of friends always, but I also think that we put a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. on people to be all the things to us Mm -hmm. all the time. And I think that that can be a recipe, and I'm talking even romantic relationships. You're preaching the polyamory of friendship. Kind of. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Right. Because one person can't be your everything, right? Just like in a romantic relationship, one person can't be your everything. And if I perpetually like Mm. relied on Danae, who I would consider my best friend, to come watch football with me on a Sunday at a bar, I'm going to be perpetually disappointed because Mm. number one, she fucking hates football. Number two, she's not the one to go sit at a bar. She's sober. Number three, like there's all these reasons, right? And so not putting so much pressure on that, but really making sure that I've got an established community of different people that provide different things to me. I think that's important too. Yeah. Mm. But I think even what you were saying before, Scott, I think as we get older, I think we don't have as much time. And so I think we're a lot more selective with the way that we spend our time and who our chosen people are. And so I do think there's a way that like, I remember the last time we were talking to you, we were talking about that thing of like keeping the old. And some of that Mm. is like, yes, we keep people a little bit in the way that Vanessa is talking about in a certain context in our lives. But I think that there's a little bit, and maybe this is just me and my introvert way of being, but I drop in with people a lot deeper, a lot quicker. And if it doesn't resonate, then that's cool, but you're not necessarily my people. Yeah. And I'm kind of okay with that, I think, Mm -hmm. in a way that I wasn't when I was younger. Like I used to sort of like try to make it work or tap dance for belonging or feel like I needed to figure out how to make myself your people. And I think as I've gotten older, I've just been in a lot more acceptance of like, not everybody's going to be my people. And that's Mm. okay. No shade to them, no shade to me, but it's just not everybody is meant to jive. Yeah. I love that Mm -hmm. tip. The tap dance line. That's so good. Yes, we don't do that. Uh, We don't do that anymore. We don't do that tap dancing anymore. And we all look away. (laughs) We stop tap dancing. Sip our water. We sip our water in awkward (laughs) untruths. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Except Uh, with dating. Just kidding. Except with dating, yeah. Yes. I did Google, how do you make friends? (laughs) Oh, man. What does Google say? Google said a lot of things that was interesting. So... It more gave some suggestions. The Googles. The Googles. Gave some suggestions that I thought was really interesting. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember learning about some of this in school Mm. and not learning about some other things in school that it brought up. But like vulnerability and emotional intimacy, Mm. that is an important ingredient in the cake of friendship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Understanding and acceptance as part of the developing and the deepening of friendship. Mm. Trust and consistency. Shared experiences, both positive and negative. Yeah, that's that memory keeper. A yeah, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's also in reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a big one. Right. Well, I also think what you're speaking to is reminding me of. There's a woman that Danae and I both follow, Clementine. I forget her last name, but Four. she she made a really good point the other day where so much of our culture is so focused on the romantic relationship. Mm. Yeah. Right, and we go through all of these. We jump through all of these hoops and we do all of these things to establish and take care of and nurture our romantic relationships. 
And yet friendships are just as, if not more, yeah. important, right? Yeah. And so we really need to start re-looking at the way that we view our friendships. Yeah. We should be putting just as much effort into fanning those flames yeah. and nurturing those connections and getting deeper and all yeah. these things that the Googles listed out. The Googles. That I think that we almost reserve exclusively <laughs> for romantic partnership yes. and not necessarily our friendships. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's doing us a disservice. I feel like that's something we try to normalize a lot is bringing how things play out in the context of our friendship into mm. the conversations we have. So it's like mm. if we're talking about codependency yeah. or we're talking about overfunction or underfunction or dynamics, Vanessa and I are really quick to like, and this isn't just in your romantic partnerships, this is sort of how it plays out for us. Because a lot of times we will have expectations of our friends and we'll feel let down by them or we will not say the thing because we're mm. attempting to maintain attachments with friends. So it's like the same things that play out in our romantic partnerships, to Vanessa's point, play out in our friendships. But it's like, how do I navigate them when sometimes I think there's not the level of comfort and intimacy that we mm. start to get into with our romantic partnerships. Mm. So yeah. we'll sort of like sweep things under the rug yeah. a little bit more with our friends or we'll hold on to resentments and we never speak to them. Whereas if it were our romantic partner, we live together a lot of times. So we'll like have no choice but to hash it out where it's yeah. like we can be carrying things for so long. Yeah. How do we normalize clearing the air and that we can have ruptures and then create repairs in our friendships as yeah. well, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting. And I didn't even think about this till both of you were speaking. You know, if you're single, you're out mingling. Mm -hmm. You're looking for at least one partner. <laughs> unless, you're, unless you're an introvert and then you're <laughs> sitting at home waiting yes, for them to yes. knock on your door. <laughs> Exceptions. Yes. You know, uh, that can happen. Typically, once you have a partner, you're not on the apps as much or at all anymore, yeah. depending oh, on what the negotiations are. But with friendships, it's interesting to me because it's like you have your friends. It kind of feels like, okay, you're not necessarily on the lookout for more and more friends. Mm -hmm. It maybe happens more happenstance or it's more mm -hmm. spontaneous. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, or maybe people are on the... I think I am. You're but again, always I on think the seek for kind more of, friends. But I, again, I think that's... I don't know if that's extroversion. I mean, I, yeah. I've started talking about a little bit like there is a little bit of codependency and maybe it's the tap dancing for belonging where it's like I used to do this thing where it was the collector of relationships. Mm. But I also feel like, I don't know, I, I do think there's a certain amount of extroversion where like everywhere I go, I'm just kind of chatting and then it's like, oh, this could be a connection. Let's exchange information. I mean, immediately I go there. Yeah. And whether that works out or not, like I think I am pretty quick to be like, ah, you're not my people or, or you are. But I do think I'm kind of constantly on the lookout. And so mm. again, I don't know if that's just easier for me because of my orientation towards being sure. extroverted. Or maybe that's something that we can practice more if we know about ourselves that we desire friendships. Just like if we know about ourselves that we desire a romantic partnership, mm. we're going to be more aware. Yeah. We're going to lean in more. We're yeah. going to be, you know, looking up a little bit more when we're at a coffee shop and paying attention. We should probably put that same effort into finding friends. Mm. I love that. I love that. Do you think when we're tap dancing for belonging to that any of those qualities that were mentioned by the Googles mm -hmm. of friendship are still there, like the trust, the intimacy, the consistency, the reciprocity. Like, are those just out the window if we're, quote unquote, performing, overperforming for friendship relationship? Yeah, so that's some of those people-pleasing tendencies yeah. that we fall into when we're tap dancing for belonging. And I think it's it's interesting. 
I think my ears perked forward a little bit when you said the reciprocity thing, because what yeah. I have heard so many people speak to over the last couple of years, and I feel like I'm quick to challenge this conversation is, Great. I just really learned who my friends were during COVID because yeah, yeah. so many people didn't show up for me yeah. and I was going through hell and I'm like, well, so were the they. Yes, we all we are. Are. <laughs> Exactly. And so I think there's yeah. ways not just in our romantic partnerships, and mm -hmm. this comes up a lot, but- yeah. Reciprocity can be tough because it's, yeah. yes, I get it, that if I'm always the one reaching out, if I'm always the one that's giving a lot, then mm -hmm. that's certainly information. Yeah. But I think there's a way that we don't always take other people's capacity into account when we're yeah. saying like, this person isn't reciprocating my energy and they're not showing up for me in the way that I long for them to. That's not really answering your question. I sort of took a pivot. But, no, great. But yeah. yeah, I think that there's a way that we're just really, I feel like, shifting into a space where we're really starting to take responsibility for how am I showing up and what is the story I'm telling myself yeah. as I'm showing up in mm -hmm. all of my relationships. Yeah. And I think friendships can a lot of times be, to the point that you were making, a place where we need to like put a little bit more energy into nurturing them. Yeah. I think we're such a society that says these romantic partnerships should be our Everything. entire world. Mm -hmm. And it just puts so much pressure on our romantic relationships mm -hmm. yes. that often don't have the capacity to mm -hmm. meet all of those needs. And so I think it's like, can I normalize a little bit deeper layer of intimacy within my friendships? Yeah. And that will mean not people pleasing, saying the things, understanding that like if someone can't hold space for me being honest with them, that's really important information for me to gather, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, too, when you were saying that, I was thinking also working with both men and women societally, culturally, right? How much more emphasis is placed on relationships, friend relationships for women mm. than for men, at least straight men, right? And so how many straight men in this society suffer, right, under the patriarchy mm. because they don't have close connection yeah. with other men mm. because they're told it's not important or they're told it's feminine to have those kind of deep reciprocal, intimate relationships, even with women that are friends, right? Because yeah. that's another thing that we're taught in this society is like we can't have deep, intimate relationships with the opposite sex unless we're also sleeping with them, right? Mm. And if we get into a relationship, then we shouldn't have those kind of friendships with people of the opposite sex, yeah. right? And so I think in so many ways, the patriarchy has also damaged our ability to have close, intimate relationships with the opposite sex, if you're a woman, but also men just in general yeah. having deep, intimate relationship, unless it's your partner, yeah. in which case, here we go again, back to the, I'm putting way too much pressure yeah. on this person to be my everything. And if we correlate it to just like health studies around mm, yes. loneliness yes. and connection, I mean, then it gets really deep because it's basically saying like, how is, as a culture, are we depleting people from their own, the resources that emerge out of connection? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like, that's scary. Like because straight white men over 50, number one suicide rate. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, why is that? When we look at the loneliness mm -hmm. rates, there's been research on that. Yeah. They're the loneliest population. Yeah. Right. Especially if they're single. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so important for us to challenge our guttural reactions to so many things. It's mm. so funny. A little while ago, you were saying, yeah. Scott, hopefully you're not on dating or you're not on dating apps based on that you got in a relationship. what your, well, you said based on what your arrangements were yeah. or mm -hmm. what your agreements mm -hmm. are. Yeah. And when you first said you're not on dating apps anymore, I sort of like, 
viscerally said, well, hopefully, kind of joking. But the thing is, I think Mm -hmm. that's really important that we start to normalize. There are so many ways that we can structure our relationships. And can we be honest? And can we be a little bit more willing to challenge what this brings up for me? Like, Mm -hmm. yes, we're all going to have insecurities, but rather than letting our insecurities drive the bus, can we say like, yeah, it's normal to be human and feel insecure and there might be some room for me to challenge what might be fulfilling and healing and life affirming for both of us to not be in this patriarchal container of what this needs to look like to be a healthy relationship. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's relationship anarchy right there. Yeah. 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 Here for it. Yeah, that's like the second time I've heard that statement. Relationship anarchy. Yes. So I, it's I'm, a whole movement. I'm like obsessed with this right now. Yeah. I just, I'm interviewing for my own personal therapy right now, another mm. therapist. And this woman, we were talking about how there's a lot of relationship therapists, the big dogs, if you will, out there that I disagree with a lot of their work. <laughs> yeah. And I was us. basically like going through the checklist of who she studies with kind of mm, thing because yeah. I was like, I don't want any of this patriarchal nonsense. Yeah. And she was like, well, I just consider myself a relationship anarchist. And I was like, you're hired. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know if I know what that means, but I know that, that feels like you're hired. Oh, but, I don't know if you should hire her. We might want to have her on the podcast. I like this. <laughs> Maybe we should have her on the podcast before so okay. that we don't have then you boundaries okay. navigating that boundary relationship <laughs> anarchy right there yeah, right <laughs> love it there's quite a few people out there who speak towards relational mm, anarchy God, I, I need to like I'll introduce you to more, a please. few yeah there's like a whole give me map. all the anarchists there's a whole relationship anarchy map I'll send it we'll, I'll text we say it more about you. map here I go with the a friend of mine sent it to me and I honestly haven't had a chance to look through it but there's like a whole process of these questions in this process of how do you mm. basically dismantle the ways in which relationship concepts have been forced on you. Yes. Love this. Yes. Deconstructing it to like actually come to the heart of what do you want and what do you need? Oh, I love it. Well, this is what she said to me was yeah. the way that I view relationships was talking about couples, right? Yeah. She's like, if I work with you as a couple, it's really for me all about understanding power dynamics yeah. and consent. Yeah. And I was like, yes. And she was like, and how does that show up? What are your unconscious expectations of power? And how does that then trickle into how you show up in your relationship, right? And I was just like, oh my God, this is it. This is so refreshing. It's not the usual, this is how you have to be in partnership. And, you know, it just feels so antiquated Mm. at this point. I think what we've, we all went to school for the same thing. Like it just feels a little outdated. Yeah. We digress. And I think about that in in terms of (laughs) friendships of like, also, yeah, totally. What are the ways in which our friendships exist and, and don't exist? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I just spent a week with one of my best friends mm-hmm. who, and we're in our 40s. Yep. And I turned to her and I was like, I can't believe we get a whole week together. Mm-hmm. Like, she's in a relationship, she has kids. Mm-hmm. And she's like, This is part of the, and she's the one who taught me about relational anarchy. She's like, This is part of it. A lot of my, you know, friends, other friends, who they're like, I have kids. And, and granted, that's a real thing. Sure. <laughs> but they're like, I can't take a day off and just spend the whole day with you. That makes me emotional. What do you mean? You say, say more. Well, I feel like I am, maybe this is me being drawn to a therapist who yeah. says she's a relationship anarchist, right? And the fact that all of a sudden now I'm hearing this term, hmm. psyche works in very particular ways. But this has been something that I feel like has been coming up a lot for me. You know, I have a three and a half year old and so much of, I think, my longing, especially as an extrovert, mm. has been I haven't been able to nurture. Now, you know, we just came out of COVID, so there is yeah. that there. But I just feel like I haven't been able to nurture the side of me that mm. does not fit in the box of partner or mother. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And 
what's happened, and, and I see this in clients that I work with too, is that it's affecting the way I show up as partner and mother. It's making me push against the boxes hmm. of partner and mother because they feel suffocating to me because it's almost like those are the only two ways under this kind of societal structure that I'm allowed to exist now. Hmm. And so these other parts of myself are being atrophied. And it's almost like in response to that, I'm pushing against. Hmm. And those are very important components to me. But what I'm watching happen is I'm re almost rejecting them because I'm longing for these other parts. Mm. And so I love that you were able, that's what got me emotional was when you said you spent a week with her and she's a parent and she was like, yeah. this is what it looks like. Mm. I just booked a trip to Nashville at the end of the month to go see one of my best friends. And I just said to my partner, hey, I'm doing this. Mm. I'm How does doing that feel? This. It feels great. It's yeah. enough. Like we're restructuring. It's not worth the dying out of that part of yourself. It's, yeah. Nothing is worth that. Not even parenthood, honestly. Yeah. And what message does that send to our children Thank you. when we allow ourselves to die out and martyr ourselves yep. and not be fully engaged, functioning human beings because we had them? What that makes yep. them believe is that they were the burden that robbed us of our lives. And mm. it's just not true. And it doesn't need to be true. But for so many of our parents' generation, it was true. Mm -hmm. yeah. I really believe that we are moving and shifting towards a more collectivist way of being. I also love what you're describing and spending time with your friend in this way, but I think the nuclear family structure is sort of dying out, my perspective. <laughs> but I think that we are going to move more to a space of all of us are in this supporting one another because to mm -hmm. Vanessa's point, what I see so often, it's like, of course you are, is people who are just feeling such a deep lack of fulfillment mm -hmm. yeah. in their familial structures yeah, because we weren't meant to do this mm. with just one person. <laughs> yeah. One other person helping me raise a kid or whatever it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. We were meant to have an entire community of people supporting us and that we got different things from, as you're talking about with friendships, we get all of these different things from different people. And the idea that one person who we share life with is meant to be our spiritual advisor, our confidant, our erotic other, our, Best you friend. know, yeah, like yeah. it's too much. It's not working. And I think we do need to say, yeah, I'm going to take a week with Scott. Good luck. Like, <laughs> yeah. Work it out. Have but fun. also, how do we have support systems for our partner who's back home mm -hmm. so yeah. that it's not such a like big deal for me to take a week off right. and I don't have to feel guilty, guilty about yeah. that? You know, yeah. I think that is the future of how we're going to start to structure our lives. I want to take a moment to give a loud shout out to The Embody Lab, which is ugh, one of the most incredible resources for body-based and somatic therapies. This show is all about healing, and The Embody Lab does exactly that. Whether you're on your own journey of transformation and discovery, or enhancing your skill sets in your career as like a coach or a therapist, a body worker, or really any career where you are supporting other gently used humans, the Embody Lab is your place for deep, inspiring and impactful workshops, certificates, masterclasses, and an incredible community of like-minded folks. I love the Embody Lab, and so do so many other people that call it a platform to come home to over and over again. The Embody Lab is giving my listeners an exclusive offer, a one-time 10% off code to enhance your embodied well-being. 
All you have to do is go to theembodylab.com and use the code GENTLYUSE10 at checkout. To participate in this approach or relational anarchy in this way, it requires such fundamental communication skills, mm. fundamental trust. It goes back to what the Googles mm. said, like the vulnerability, the emotional intimacy, the ability to communicate and connect and reciprocity. And to your point, like I never in my life thought of reciprocity as 50-50. Mm-hmm. And when a friend said to me like, oh yeah, you do this and then I give back. And I was like, that's tit for tat. That's yes. not reciprocity. No. So I'm curious what your opinions on reciprocity, this varied approach to reciprocity as well. Well, I think it's what you said. Is it reciprocity? Yeah. I think that's the first question we have to ask ourselves. Like, what does that mean? I think normalizing that different people have different strengths ends up really helping. And this is whether it's a partnership or a friendship. I think there are things that Vanessa is just stronger Mm -hmm. in in our relationship. And I think she gives me a lot of grace (laughs) in the fact that she will sometimes pick up the slack in those things. Now, our relationship is strong enough at this point that sometimes she'll be like, I'm picking up a little bit too much slack in the spaces that you feel like I'm stronger. Yeah. But also there are things that it's just not going to be most efficient for me to do in our relationship. Like maybe she's a little bit more tech savvy than I am, right? Like I can figure it out. It's going to take me two days where Vanessa can do it in 15 minutes. But sometimes it's like, okay, but then Danae's role, I'm trying to I'm like one of my strengths, babe. But brings us back to the golden shadow stuff. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then so my strengths might be that I'm talking to someone that Vanessa has no interest in talking to because I will talk to someone even if they have a very different political point of view or whatever. And Vanessa's like, I'm not talking to them. I don't want that. That you handle it. Yeah, that's true. There are certain people where I'm just like, no, no, thank you. But I think that thing of like in our relationships, going back to what we were saying about like family structures and how we can work those out. My kid's dad is stronger in certain areas. In a lot of ways, he's the more over-functioner to my under-functioner. And he's mm. like that very nurturing. Well, he's a Virgo. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. Throw it in on. He's a Virgo. <laughs> yeah. So he'll make sure all the structural things are mm-hmm. sort of like in place that I'll be like, eh, it doesn't really matter. But then yeah. I will be so present for our kiddos, like emotions and validating the heck out of whatever he's going through. And that ends up being my strength. Now he's yeah. good at that too. But I think What you said about trust is so important. Mm -hmm. I think in order for us to reimagine what our lives can look like, it does require so much trust. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. requires that we release a lot of the control because I find a lot of what we are negotiating when we're in struggle in relationships of all kinds is like, I don't trust in life. So I feel like I need to people please. I feel like I need to hustle for belonging. I feel like I need to do all of these things because I don't trust that I'm enough, that our relationship can sustain if I tell the truth. There's all these ways that like as we step into deeper layers of trust that things will work out as they're meant to, Mm. all of a sudden we have, I think, better, more fulfilling, intimate relationships of all kinds. I mean, first of all, thank you for both naming. Wow. So reciprocity from a strength-based perspective, Mm. as opposed to, again, tit for tat, you do this, I do this, Mm -hmm. as opposed to we're each recognizing each other's capacities and strengths Mm -hmm. and where we can contribute. Mm -hmm. And when we, as you said, recognizing, hey, there's some slack in what I know you can contribute, what's going on? Getting curious even as opposed to getting defensive defensive. or like annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a really good point. We know that curiosity and judgment can't live in the same space. No. Right? And so if I, even if it feels like a fake it till you make it situation, mm. if I attempt to be curious and I try really hard, even if I'm feeling resentful or if I'm yeah. feeling judgmental, but I kind of decide, okay, I'm going to try to be curious in this moment. Yeah. You can fake it till you make it. I mean, you can walk into a relationship conversation and say, I'm going to be curious and see what unfolds. And that automatically lowers that person's defenses. Absolutely. That automatically invites them to the table in a way that they're not going to come in arms crossed and expecting to have to defend themselves, defend the relationship. Shouldn't that be how we engage in every one of these conversations, right? If only. If only. Mm. I'm just taking it in. I feel like there's some meta experience here where I'm like, oh, we are in the flow of something. Mm -hmm. And to me, that in itself is also a component of friendship. Of Time has felt fluid in the last yeah. bit of time with you both. Mm. That's not listed on the Googles. Right. But, <laughs> right. but that's a component of friendship too, of time expands or disappears or changes mm -hmm. outside of the normal. The energetic kind of exchange that yeah. you can't put like a name or a label on. Yeah. I was just having a conversation actually last night with my partner and without going into too much of the background, essentially we were talking about the, my relationship with my ex and mm. we were having a conversation about why I stayed in a relationship longer than I probably should have. A relationship that I knew for quite a while wasn't quote unquote right for me, but I stayed. And I found myself actually defending myself a little bit and mm. saying to him, it's not like I was in a bad relationship for six years. I wasn't in an abusive relationship for six years. And he was actually a little surprised because I don't think he'd heard me talk about it in this way. I was like, you have to understand that when it was good, it was good. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because exactly what you're saying. What I said was him and I would go, we could sit and have a beer and talk forever hours and the time would just melt away. Mm. You know, we had that kind of friendship yeah. actually yeah. where we could go play darts and just like enjoy each other's company, yeah. you know? And so I basically said to my current partner, like, I want to be clear, we had an amazing friendship. Yeah. And that's part of why I stayed for so long. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't that it was a all bad situation. Yeah. And I think he was kind of surprised because I don't think he'd ever heard me talk about it in that way. But I think that when we're talking about partnerships or relationships and the evolution of them mm -hmm. and how they're changing, I think a little bit of it is us getting more comfortable with change, mm -hmm. to your point, not being in control can things evolve and look different than they did or how I expected them to look, right? Can I drop my expectations mm. a little bit? Can I see this person for who they are and what they are and not then put my kind of layers or versions on top of that, mm -hmm. right? And unfortunately, in that situation, he wasn't able to do that when I said this relationship needs to change, which is sad to me. But I think that is the evolution yeah. of relationships, it's taking the expectation out. It's taking mm. the I own you mm. out of this. Mm. You need to do this for me because this is the role that you fulfill yeah. out of it. And just saying, I see you for who you are. And this thing that we have is actually really beautiful, even if this part of it isn't beautiful anymore. Yeah. Whether mm. that's friendship, romantic relationship, doesn't matter. Mm. There's something else in what you were saying that I quickly that came to mind, which is rupture and repair. Yeah. Mm. I think that the in a deep friendship. We have ruptures. I think it's so important to normalize rupture mm -hmm. as part of any relationship. Mm -hmm. But the repair, not that I'm saying go seek the repair to deepen the friendship, but the doing the repair work is also a deepening agent. Mm -hmm. 
in any relationship, but especially friendships. I have a, that same friend I was with for a week. We've only had one significant rupture and it was because I missed something. I didn't hear it and something happened because of that. And she shared with me that she was really hurt and pained by it. And I said, I froze in that moment mm. because I'm like, oh God, is this the end of our friendship? Mm. And she was like, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. And we talked a lot about like that freeze, which is actually just an amplification of shame. Yes. And that if I could release that, actually I could be more present and hear what she needed for that moment mm. to just make the repair so easy. Yes. I love that. I was just talking about this exact freeze today in yeah. one of the groups I was leading where I was talking about how, and I'll just name the Gottmans talk about mm. stonewalling, yeah. right? As being one of the four horsemen of yeah. the apocalypse. And I was talking relational about- Relational apocalypse. Right. And I was talking about how, yeah, relational apocalypse. <laughs> not the apocalypse, <laughs> relational name. apocalypse. <laughs> the apocalypse is coming, but we're talking about the relational <laughs> apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I was saying how as somebody who has a fawn response usually- yeah. Because of deep shame, yeah, that looks like stonewalling, yeah, and they are interlinked. Yeah, mm. and I said I actually think that in many ways the Gottmans do a disservice to those of us who have a lot of shame, mm -hmm. because they make it seem as if stonewalling is the worst thing you can do, and almost the way that they write about it is almost as if it's done on purpose. Like you're bad for doing it. I'm as, not saying that it's okay. I'm not yeah. saying that it doesn't suck to be on the receiving end of stonewalling. Of yeah. course it does. But going back to being curious, yeah. If I have somebody sitting across from me that I love who perpetually goes into stonewalling and I'm curious about why, because yeah. again, I mean, I know I'm a therapist, but to me, that's a fawn response. That's yeah. a freeze, right? That's yeah. a shame response. I have had maybe a couple experiences in my current romantic relationship. And actually I would say even with Danae, where they were able to drop whatever was going on for them in the moment mm -hmm. and see me. Mm-hmm. In my fawn, in my shame response, in my stonewalling, and call it out for what it was. So I've had my partner actually say, you look really flooded right now. Maybe we should take a break. And it was the most validating experience and immediately almost like shut the shame trickle off. Yeah. Right? Wow. And it seems a little bit kind of like what your friend yeah. did, which is like, yeah. hey, if you could actually get out of the shame and meet mm. me, this yeah. would be a deeper conversation, yeah. right? Anyway, that was a tangent, but I, I was just talking today about how that and stonewalling, yeah. I think are interwoven. Yeah. And we gotta get more curious about that. Absolutely. Well, it's incredible. I always think of like friendships as little opportunities, you know, the social rat experiment. Mm. I think of like friendships as these little pocket experiments of getting to also repattern. Totally. Mm -hmm. What we didn't get. Mm -hmm. This friend helps repatterning this. And like with that friend I was talking about, I got to repattern the idea that a rupture doesn't mean end. end. That's right. And it was so massive yes. to recognize. And then so when I would have other ruptures with other friends, because it's natural, because yep. I forgot their birthday or I showed up 20 minutes late or whatever it was. Mm. And I could just show up and be like, I'm sorry, I could see how that is upsetting. Mm -hmm. What can I offer? Or how can I show up for you now? Yeah. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but it wasn't that. like the end. And it's it was so amazing to have that experience. Yeah. I think there's so many layers of complexity to the narratives we're holding in the moment of the rupture, in the yeah. moment of like feeling hurt by someone. And I think something Vanessa and I have really tried to do and model in the retreats and things that we facilitate is 
how we have navigated those moments. And I think a lot of times there can be things like, it's interesting when you were talking about the stonewalling, I think that there are a lot of times historic contexts to why. Like if I had a parent that stonewalled and wouldn't talk to me for a week and I didn't know what I did and I didn't know what I said wrong, then the fawn response in a friend or partner might hit me differently, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a way that we can talk about it from our inner adult. And I think that's what you're speaking to when we say that to ourselves in that moment, okay, Vanessa's not talking to me and I'm telling myself the story that she hates me. And I will be like, I'm telling myself the story that you hate me right now. Is that what's going on? But I think at our last retreat, we had an experience like where there was something that Vanessa said to me, and I don't even remember what we were talking about, but there was like a historical context to her sort of saying something like, you're scaring me right now with how big my response was. And I was like, what? Because I'm like the scary black woman? Like that was, and there were like layers to like what my response was, but we've built enough emotional safety that V was able to say to me like, hey, like, hold up, let's process this. Yeah. I understand why you would feel that way. I was not thinking about it, obviously, yeah. in that context. But I think sometimes speaking the thing of like, this is what that triggered for me, mm -hmm. and that hurts. And that person not defending, like, what are you saying? I'm like a racist now? <laughs> like, is yeah. that how you see me? Which a lot of times will That's be our defensive go. response. Yeah. Yeah. But I care that that made you feel that way. I see you, mm -hmm. and that wasn't my intention, but that requires a lot of Vanessa's inner adult yeah. coming yeah. to the table versus like that defended child. child that feels like you're telling me I'm a bad person yes. when something is hurting you in that moment. It's a skill, and it takes practice, but I do think that like in safe containers of friendship, that is the level of trust we start to build in one another, yeah. that we can say those hard things to one another and create those repairs. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Can I share one more interesting Googled thing? I actually yes. knew this, but I was Googled reinforced the idea. It reinformed me, I should say. Mm -hmm. The original concept of trauma bonding. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen it on social media and I was like, I knew for a while, I'm like, that's not actually what the original concept of trauma bonding yep. is. Mm -hmm. Trauma bonding is truly that pain is a social glue. Mm -hmm. When we go through harsh experience together, it brings us closer significantly faster than quote unquote positive or neutral experiences. Yes. Yeah. And that's trauma bonding. That's the original intent. And it's interesting to me that was in the, when I was Googling around, how do you make friends? How do you sustain friends? It's you like, trauma bond with them. you trauma bond with them. <laughs> in my book, I talk about the difference between trauma bonding and drama bonding. Mm. And I think most people are talking about drama bonding yeah. mm. when they're talking about the negative aspect of it, of yes. like throwing logs on each other's fires, having like a quote unquote trauma Olympics mm. from each other mm. and like, but trauma bonding is not a negative thing. It's like we share a bond, a glue based on ache, pain, wounding, which is kind of the human race. Mm. Some of my deepest relationships come yeah. out of trauma bonding from my corporate days. Speak to it. Like no joke. Yeah. I mean, I like jokingly saw a mm. reel that was about that the other day yeah. where it was something about like the deep friendships that you have from your job and then somebody stitched in and was like, oh, trauma bond? You mean that's a trauma bond? Yeah. And I actually sent it to a bunch of my friends from my old days. <laughs> and we were all like, oh my God, is that what mm. this is? I mean, but half joking, half not. Yeah. That friend that I'm going to see in Nashville, for yeah. sure, yeah. our relationship was based on the fact that we 
held a side-by-side position in the job that we were in. And holy shit, were we in it together. All of the bullshit, all of the drama, all of the everything, right? It was the glue. I mean, it Mm -hmm. cemented our relationship. We were each other's everything for, I don't know, six years in that job, right? And so, I mean, to your point, it's not always a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're right. There's like a misunderstanding of what trauma bonding actually is. I think people look at it like, oh God, I'm in this trauma bond with this person and it's it's horrible. It's an codependency based on the fact that we share a pain. It can go there. And that's when I would say it's trauma bonding when it's like, if you were to go back to Nashville and all you did was go back into the past, refresh it, rehash it. And that's the only element of your friendship now. That's trauma bonding. If the glue is there because you had a shared experience and you're able to continue on in the present moment and into the future together, that's just trauma bonding. You had a trauma bond rather, and then you carried the friendship into the future. I'm obsessed with this concept of drama bonding. I haven't heard this from you (laughs) yet, but I, I love that. I think that's so brilliant because I think so much of what we are attempting to do in our relationships of all kinds when we're doing that drama bonding thing is we're attempting to create life force and eros in a society that has really taught us that things should be structural and this is the way it looks like and some external authority is telling you how to live and it's like the human psyche will figure out how to create Mm -hmm. aliveness and eros Mm -hmm. and a lot of times that's what the drama is and I like watch buffles and people of all kind really sometimes and I'm like really is this necessary. Like you guys are literally creating drama for drama's sake. But I think that's what we do when we don't know how to create novelty or we don't give ourselves permission to really chase the breadcrumbs of our bliss. As Vanessa and I often talk about like Joseph Campbell's work. And I think if we get out of the shoulds a little bit and get into the space of like, what is actual life force for me? Mm. Then we don't need to do all of this like creating drama to feel a sense of life, you know? Yes. We don't have to be each other's, try to refill our battery packs through chaos and crisis. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, and (laughs) I think that what's funny, because it was, again, how psyche works were just, I was just talking about this last night where I was saying, I have a tendency, I think I find in myself, I have a tendency to say, oh, I'm feeling maybe disconnected Mm. from self. I'm feeling maybe a little uninspired by my life. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's an aversion to drama, but I tend to be really aware of when that happens. And maybe this is just through lots of kind of inner work and actually purposely say, okay, I got to seek out something that gives me that feeling. I have to Mm. seek out something Mm. that will make me feel, I like to say, obsessed with life, right? Mm. And I will find it and I will lean into it. And I do that purposely so that I'm not then looking around at the relationships in my life and being like, hmm, who can I poke? (laughs) Where can I drop a grenade here and there, right? And and I think that I watch it happen. I watch other people in my life do it. And it's probably my reaction to being like, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's not fun. That's not fun. For anybody. Yeah, no. (laughs) I think some people think it's fun. I don't think it's fun. I agree. Fun. I'm like, why right. do y'all like drama so much? I mean, that's much. why you wrote your book. Oh, yeah. It's the addiction to it, right? It is an it's addiction. An addiction it's it. real. Yeah. We become dependency on the hit to feel sustained in life. Mm. Yes. And to sustain, to feel alive because yeah. it rises above that threshold of numbness. And it does actually so much. I mean, I know that my perspective comes from the fact that I love evolutionary biology. Mm. And so I always go, what is the value of this? Mm-hmm. Not the symptom, but the serves value purpose, of purpose, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Everything serves a purpose. We are wired for shame. Mm. As opposed to shaming shame, yeah. let's get curious about 
why we are wired for it. And then it leads us into this whole unraveling and unpacking of what it is. Yeah. Which is on tomorrow's show. But mm-hmm. so I can't go there today. <laughs> we can't go there too much. <laughs> Can I ask you a question yeah. about the drama stuff? Because you obviously were so into the research around yeah. it. Did anything pop up, I suppose, around generations and differences in generations? Because mm. what's coming up for me is I find that in the generation above us, so let's say like the boomer generation, mm-hmm. I do think that a lot of this is trauma related. There is this tendency to be kind of addicted to keeping my nervous system at the heightened level that it's at, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that anything below that feels unsafe. Mm -hmm. And so I need to create that drama in order to keep my nervous system heightened, right? And while obviously there are people in our generation who do the same shit, I would say that from my perspective, what I've witnessed is that there seems to be more of that in the generation above us. And I'm just curious Mm -hmm. if you kind of came across any of that in your research. Yeah. I came across it in relation to resilience. Mm. Oh, interesting. And in terms of the definitions that that generation typically perceived resilience as you get knocked down, you get up again. Yep. And so that is suppression, Mm. repression. And so that means we never get to process and metabolize what's here. So part of that reflex to stay vigilant is also about avoiding what hasn't been processed. The integration of it. There is no landing strip in our body because it's occupied by the things we never processed. So if our mentality of resilience is you just get through it, you push through it, it means we push it down is what it really meant. And so no space for me, no space to settle into me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As you say that, I'm thinking of just the response of trauma in an animal and how animal will finish the cycle of trauma. And I think that we don't do that as human animals. So we're like in this constant state of contraction. And I like am picturing that as you're talking about, yes, a certain generation, but I think anyone who has unprocessed trauma, I think that is often the case is the level of vigilance, the level of hyper, something horrible is going to happen. So I'm like ready and at a 10 all the time. I think it's because the cycle hasn't been finished, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I have a question for you both. Yeah. How do you feel about deepening our friendship right now? Oh, oh shit. That, that sounds spicy. I know. Y'all took it in a direction. <laughs> the Y'all off, took or? it in a direction. So as part of deepening our friendship, this is a game that's based on social penetration theory. Hey. Which uh, hey, yeah. I am so mature, I can't even say without laughing. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you said that because I was holding it. I mean, we both were like, hey, oh, over here. So I don't know who's more mature. So adolescent. Social, <laughs> social penetration theory is the gradual process of revealing more personal and intimate information as trust builds. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So we have had the opportunity, even in the last hour, let alone the last many hours of connecting in the last few months of, I would say, building some trust. Mm -hmm. Like, I would do a trust fall with you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And that there's a way in which, in social penetration theory, it's a gradual-ish or fast-tracked way of revealing information to each other. So what you're saying is it's about to be fast-tracked. So this is about to be (laughs) (laughs) fast-tracked. That's what I'm calling. Okay. So... We're going to play a game of intrusive questions okay. as a means of fast-tracking our social penetration theory process. Okay. Okay. <laughs> bring on the penetration. Bring on the, bring on the social penetration. <laughs> okay. So we're going to ask each other a series of intrusive or intimate questions mm-hmm. to get to know each other even more. Are you ready? I'm ready. Who yes. would like to start? Danae. Okay. <laughs> 
my God. <laughs> he called you out. We're all going to bring up our list of questions. Okay, now. we're all going to bring out a list of questions. Okay. I have one. Okay, what's Do your... I just ask either if you were asked? Yes, and I will say because I think part of the art of questions is good follow-up questions. Mm. Okay. So I think each Pressure. of us is allowed to ask one follow-up question to anyone's question. So if Danae asks a question and you say something, either Danae or I can ask a follow-up question. To, to go deeper. To go deeper to into the penetration deeper. social okay. theory. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Awkward. Okay. Scott? Oh, this is just to me? Oh, I'm asking both I, of you. I would hope so. Okay. Oh, or, or I guess it can be. Okay, well, whoever I, would I like to answer first. <laughs> whoever I, would like to answer first. Who is the person in your life that challenges you the most? Oh, Wow. I think my first response would be the person I'm always dating. Mm -hmm. But if I'm really to be honest, it's me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I hear it constantly that I'm my harshest critic. Mm -hmm. And I like to think I'm my harshest reality checker. Mm -hmm. But that's a skewed perspective. I, I would say me, if I'm being really honest. I want you to say more about reality checker. What does that mean for you? Well, I think perfectionism is really just a reflection of navigating shame, right? Mm. And so it's a defense response to say, no, 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 I just believe everything should be as perfect or as good as I can make it. Mm -hmm. And so reality checker does the same. It's another kind of defense response, I would say, of being like, when I said some statement, it wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. I would say like, that's a fact. Mm. I'm fact checking myself because I've said things more clearly or I've said it better or more succinctly before. Mm. And so I can use the comparatives of other times to really fact check this as truth, the harshness of it as hmm. truth. It's just a defense response I know is there. Like It's justification. It's justification. Yeah. 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 It's always so fascinating with the perfect, right? Because it's yeah. objective, right? I don't Absolutely. know. Like the way you said it this way could have been better, but maybe it resonated in the way you said it this way with yeah. someone who might not have heard it the same way if you said it more succinctly, right? So it's Who's to say what perfect is? I don't know. I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> she can't not be a therapist. I know. I was like, I don't remember a therapist being allowed to play the game. <laughs> You're like, You're done. and we're done here. And we're done. <laughs> All right. Am so I answering? Okay. Yeah. You know, I would say that four years ago, I would have answered that question as my mom. Mm. And since having a kid, I'm now going to say it's my kid. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's honest. Yeah. And it's not that there's any lack of love. I mean, of yeah. course, but our children are our biggest mirrors. Mm. And so it is a daily, especially as somebody who is riddled with shame and is a perfectionist and has wild codependent tendencies and all that jazz, it is a daily practice for me not to feel like a complete fuck up as a parent. Mm. And she, in so many ways, is just constantly giving me opportunities <laughs> to feel that, <laughs> to oh, feel shit. that, and then question it, and then <sighs> fact check myself, yeah. and then to want to go back in time, and then yeah. you know, just all the things. And it's every day. You know, of course, there are some days that are easier than others, but especially as a toddler, right? Because yeah. she is all over the place, as we all were as toddlers, mm -hmm. and that's really hard for somebody too. I think who has more of that controlling kind of personality. Mm -hmm. I want things to like be okay and be in a box and make sense and nothing about a toddler makes sense ever. No. <laughs> so it's hard. I do love Dan Siegel's work on, mm -hmm. oh God, I'm the a whole brain child. too. Yeah, I know. It's hard. <laughs> 
That's who we are. I think you should read this book, not just let you speak. His work on, it gave the reframe of going, this is what's happening and this is why. Mm-hmm. Which I know in the moment when you're working. But that's when it, when you're, you're activated. Yeah, oh God. And I find that more recently, I don't know what kind of spurred this little mantra on, but more recently I've found myself in moments with her where I can feel myself getting activated and I actually go in and I, for some reason, me saying to myself, Vanessa, regulate yourself regulate yourself, Mm. regulate yourself. Like that's become a mantra for me Mm. because what I am realizing at least is like grasping onto that mantra in the moment is making me remember that I'm not regulated Mm -hmm. and that it is my job in that moment. There is no other job actually in that moment Mm. other than to regulate myself. Yeah. Right. And if I don't grab at that mantra, I'll get swept into it with her. Yeah. So it's, yeah, for sure the hardest relationship. I love that. And I love that honesty, babe, because I think it's so unbelievably permission giving to so many mamas who yeah. I know feel the same way. And so many. We don't make a lot of space for speaking that truth. In yeah. Our well, and then both can exist, right? Yeah. Like this unbelievable love can exist. And also, you're the hardest relationship <laughs> in my life. Like they <laughs> both real. exist, you know? Yeah. And they might exist even in the same five minute span. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So usually do, and they usually do. (laughs) What about you? Oh, I'm doing. I want you to. I'm doing my answer. Can I I ask her that? I think you can. So curious. Yeah. Yeah. I will still say my mother. Yeah. As much as there's so much work and acceptance and surrender and understanding, she is my life's work, and I think in so many beautiful ways because I think there's so much about the way that my mother and I processed the world differently, and the type of person I am, and how difficult that was for her my whole life that has been working through that and finding self-acceptance around that has been what has been not only my life's healing and why I think I'm able to support others in the way that I do so effectively. Mm -hmm. And yet there's the complexity of seeing her humanity Mm -hmm. and that there's so many things that it is hard for her to process and self-regulate through and what that brings up for the little girl in me who just wants to be accepted for who I am forever. And yeah, doing that inner work around what that relationship will always bring up for me, I think is the most challenging work for me. Yeah. We are getting to know each other. If we're gonna do the penetration is going penetration is happening. This show is also brought to you by the absolutely stunning and powerful tools for transformation that are created by Omala. Oof, even the name Omala transports you to a place of flow and vitality. These are some of my favorite products ever, like an amazing color-changing yoga mat that responds to your temperature and presence and reflects back your posture in real time. They have this incredible smelling skin balm candle that heats up to activate all the essential oils and vitamins that your skin has been craving for. I mean, look, if I could live in a giant bath of this candle, I would 100% do it. They also have these journals that lead you into a profound insight, and then you can plant those journals to create a stunning flower garden. I mean, damn. If that's not both deep and inventive, I don't know what is. If you're someone who desires to live in a luxurious flow of life and who believes in transformative wellness, then you have to check out Omala. Omala is giving my listeners an exclusive discount to treat yourself to something that is as special as you, boo. 
All you have to do is go to omala.com. That's O-M-A-L-A.com. Use the discount code DrScott10 at checkout. And a portion of every purchase goes to an incredible charity. You got this. Do you want to go next or would you like me to? Okay. Do you have one that you want to do? I have one, but I'm, I can be patient. No, you do it. You do it. I've got like six. So I'm like, I'm marinating on You're which marinating. One. Okay. Oh. Marinate. <laughs> marinate away. What is the moment in your life you were most proud of mm. and the moment in your life you are least proud of? Ooh. I have to pick one? <laughs> least <laughs> proud, not most proud. I know. I know you. You know where I was up. going with that. <laughs> well. Well. <laughs> well. It's hard because... Vanessa knows I don't believe in mistakes. I yeah. think that every moment that I could be least proud of, I've done so much radical self-forgiveness of Danae for because I think it was so unbelievably necessary to shape me. I think even what would come up is probably the times where I am not the mama that I want to be, mm-hmm. the times where I've had less patience than I would have loved to. And I think I do a really good job as a mama of like making amends and speaking to my humanity and modeling that for my little man. So I don't, I don't have a lot of that. I think I, I regret not being with my father when he passed away. Mm-hmm. I regret not being there, but I'm not like ashamed of it because it's, yeah. it was what it needed to be. And I feel like he understands and, and there was so much, I have self-forgiveness for it. Yeah. Most proud of I think I'm really proud of the way, and this is like a series of moments, but my relationship with my kid's father, Mm. Mm. he is one of the greatest loves of my life in terms of friendship and the way that we have continued to allow our relationship to change form and be a love that continues and that we've modeled that for our child. It makes me really proud of me, but certainly of us Mm. in a way that I think I'm more proud of than anything else because... I don't think that that is always the case. I don't think that was what I grew up with, like seeing how we can let go and still allow there to be love between us. And so, yeah, it makes me proud of me. Mm. (laughs) Thank you. Mm. (laughs) You really shifted the question too. And I knew you would. I (laughs) I know you well (laughs) enough to be like, and the reframe reframe that says, actually, this is how... It needed to be for me to learn this or for mm. me to get this from life. I know. I do a lot of that strength base. We were talking we, about that <laughs> before, but it's, yeah. And I think my work a lot of times is to not get into the like, I don't like things to be messy. Yeah. And so I think that can be sometimes my Achilles heel is like allowing myself to stay in the mess and allowing mm. myself to just not make meaning too quickly of mm-hmm. things and like, nope, this is the lesson. I Where is the lesson? I'll find the lesson. Yeah. Hold on. Give me a second. I'm like a ninja with finding the lesson. And sometimes it's like, no, right now this is just gunk. Yeah. Human. And it's awful. Yeah. And I'm just in it. I've gotten better, but that's yeah. still my growing edge is not moving into the like, here's why this is a lesson that I needed to learn too quickly. I feel like we just deepened with you in Mm -hmm. that moment Mm -hmm. that there was an acknowledgement of also coming to the meaning making is sometimes a protective response Mm -hmm. from touching into it. For sure. Yeah. Therapist loves to call me on it regularly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm going to steal from Danae on this one. It's definitely parenting related for Mm. sure. Like I think one moment in particular where it was a combination of, as Danae and I like to talk about in these dynamics of competition for energy Mm. that happens a lot where you've got the kid and you've got the partner and everyone's competing for mom's attention at the same time. It was one in particular where it was just 
absolute meltdown, lost my ever loving mind. I'm not actually in regret of doing it to him. It's more to her. Yeah, yeah. Mostly because he could handle it, right? Yeah. Like she couldn't, it scared her. And I mean, to Danae's point, one of the I think most important things for me as a parent is my ability to repair with my child. Mm -hmm. I don't think I got very many, if any, apologies growing up. And so it is like a mission of mine to be in a constant state of this is what I could have done better and I apologize for it. And so I definitely did and I repaired and whatever. But what I will say is that that definitely was a jumping off point for me in understanding a whole other layer to myself. And it actually was the moment that really opened up a gateway into an understanding of myself as a neurodivergent mm -hmm. and how ADHD plays into overstimulation mm -hmm. and overwhelm and the nervous system component to that. And prior to that, I think I had really pushed against believing that I had ADHD and that moment was actually a thing where I was like, oh, oh yeah, I can't actually hide from this. This is a real fucking thing. Yeah. So again, the meaning making behind it was like, oh, that was what that was. And then as far as like being proud of myself, actually what came up for me without much thought was the moment that I decided to, or maybe the two weeks of the actual process of leaving my last relationship. Mm. I'm just really proud of myself in doing the hard thing and following through it in doing my best to stay in kindness, even though it wasn't reciprocated at all, holding strong in my sense of self throughout that process, mm -hmm. I can still look back and be really proud of myself, even if he didn't agree. Yeah. Right? It's like that I hold myself with a lot of compassion and I know the strength, even though I'm the bad guy in that person's story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That Oof. I'm very proud of. Yeah. And I could actually say the same about a friendship that dissolved. Like, there's something about being proud of myself when I'm the bad guy in somebody else's story mm -hmm. that feels really palpable. Mm. I find that such a hard thing to stay anchored in. Yes. When someone has cast you as the villain yes. in their story. And we do that as humans. Sure. I, you know, it's like also we all people fuck up. You know, there are villains sometimes. There truly. are villains yeah. sometimes, but often to cast as character a villain, yes. that means we're in our own shit. Yes. When we can't see them as anything else but what we've cast them as. Yes. And oof, being on the other side of it, that is such an activating point for me. And I've said that to several people in my life. I'm like, I'm not willing to be cast as the villain. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to walk away. <laughs> That's actually my hard boundary. And I'm like, I'll be somewhere else you can find when you're done with your casting call. Yeah. But this casting call with me is over. Yeah. But I think that's... I have found one of the most profound ways that we step into deeper layers of healing is when we're willing to say, the way this other person is going to process this, I can't control. Yeah. Yes. yes. And sometimes I'm going to have to be the villain. Yes. And I said what I said, or yes. I'm yep. staying with myself through this, or yeah. whatever it is, but it is what it is. And I think so often we don't leave relationships or do the hard things because we know that we're yeah, pretty intuitive. We know yeah. how someone's going to a lot of times process that and we yeah. defend against the abandonment. But a lot of times it's like, but I'm not going to abandon me. Yeah. And so I may have to be your villain and you may yeah. have to feel that way. I think that's yeah. exactly when I say proud of myself for the way I did mm. that, it was like a moment of really choosing myself. And mm. for mm. I think for the first time in many years, deciding not to self-abandon Yeah. regardless of consequence. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right? That's yeah. huge. Yeah. That's yeah. significant. I'm proud of you. Thanks. Yeah. Same girl, same. Thanks. You got a question? Okay. By the way, you said these were going to be spicy. 
the next I round mean, is spicy. Oh, okay. Because I was going to go <laughs> yeah. spicy fast. No, you, you want to go spicy penetration. Spicy penetration. Oh, now? Can we do spicy yes. penetration? Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> we do spicy penetration. <laughs> we got so many good t-shirts from this episode. <laughs> I enjoy some spicy <laughs> penetration. That's my <laughs> spicy my penetration. penetration. Okay, there's a lot of them, but okay. Okay, so let's just start with this one. If I'm going to go with you first, okay. If we got really drunk, yeah. Do you think we would end up doing something stupid, funny, regrettable, ridiculous? Any of those words? Would napping count? <laughs> I guess let's take into account that we're 40 at this point. Let's say we were 25. Let's say we were 25. I was never a wild. Hmm. First of all, I never really drank, but like I also never really got wild. I feel like I'm the odd man out. I feel like I'd be so boring (laughs) for you, but I would be willing to do something crazy with you, regardless of being drunk or not. So you'll you'll be my lemming. You'll come along. Oh yeah, I'm up for an adventure. I am down for it, but I don't have to lubricate myself with alcohol to do it. I'm always ready for you. Good <laughs> to know. I'm ready. I'm going to tuck that away. You tuck that away. I'll tuck that away. What about you, Janae? If we got really drunk together, and it's a big if because I know you're sober, would we do something stupid? 25-year-old us. No. Oh. Again, no, we're 25-year-old me. In this me, scenario, absolutely. we're not 40s. We're 20s. Because let's be real. Last time I got drunk, I did something stupid. It was probably in my Oh, you 20s. did? Yeah, well, like, if we're going to tell did? us a story. <laughs> I mean, I was drunk a lot in my 20s in New York, so I did oh. a lot of really stupid things. What was your And favorite? funny things and <laughs> ridiculous things. And I mean... Yeah, go on. You know, I... I mean, I, it's just us and a bunch of thousand people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I can... I, we can categorize them. There's the like, you know, waking up to the person that you kind of didn't remember bringing home kind of thing. Oh, damn. There's the, I was a bartender, first of all, okay. for many years. Okay. So that definitely lent itself to many, many wake-ups nights. Mm. Yeah. Let's just say that. I also, in my 20s, was pre-therapy especially, was very angry mm-hmm. for reasons I did not understand or know. And so I self-medicated a lot with alcohol. Okay. But I also had a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to pretend like it was all no, bad. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. So definitely sex stuff for sure. But also, I think just dumb stuff. Like, that's probably partly why I miss New York so much, because mm-hmm. it represents such a specific time in my life where mm-hmm. you were just idiots and somebody was puking out of the cab window and somebody else was holding their hair back. And, oh, you know, you were just walking into clubs like you own the place and yeah. like making out with DJs and just, just the dumb funny, amazing shit that we all got into. We all, meaning me and my friends, got into in our 20s. New York Um, is your memory keeper of that vibe. For Mm. sure. Yeah. For sure. I love that location can be a memory keeper. Yeah. Yeah. New York is my memory keeper for sure. Yeah. I always say New York is... Since I've left, I realized that LA is like my wife. <laughs> she like cooks for me and makes me kale and like massages my feet and keeps my home. But New York is like my mistress. New York is the sexy kind of kinky mistress that I go and I still go visit and I get that like shot of like life and adrenaline and then I come back to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Relationship anarchy. I'm mean, like, I don't even know what to say about the misogyny. <laughs> That's like just saying. 
Wait, am I answering something? Yeah. Well, she just deflected it back she to did, me. Yeah, like, you deflected Would we do question. something stupid? And you're like, well, what kind of stupid? Yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> Vanessa and I certainly, I was a bit of a party girl for oh. much of, I think that I met I Danae to, at the wrong point in yeah, her life. So she missed party out. girl. Poor girl, she missed <laughs> out. Yeah, I think we would have certainly had some holding one another's hair back and... <laughs> Being in Real random bonding, trauma bonding moments. And yeah, I think there was, oh my gosh, that younger self of mine, all the partying, all the drugs, all the alcohol, mm-hmm. there was a lot of, you know, things that I used to do to anesthetize my way out of introversion and into the world. And now I'm a lot It was your social lubricant. 100%. Yeah. 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 I, mm-hmm. I understand that. But it was fun for sure. It was fun. Yeah. The spicy round. Okay. All right. There we go. Clearly, you came in with a lot. You had been. You were spicing it up at home. The listeners did not hear her come in. Like, how many sex questions do I need to ask? And we were like, whoa. (laughs) Okay. Something I thought spicy meant sexual. Something sexual I've longed for, but I haven't had the courage to ask for. Oh. Oh, Damn. Damn. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Oof. You're asking him first. <laughs> Way to deflect it. Who are you asking? The question is something I've longed for, but I haven't asked for. Sexually. Sexually. I think I have always, this is going to be so boring. Mm. I've always asked for what I've been interested in. And Spoken I'm, like a true man. Uh, <laughs> I'm so jealous of that right now. <laughs> Don't gender me. I am I wrong? <laughs> Taking up all the space, unapologetically. Uh, unapologetically. I think I've actually more recently been more available to communicate not having sex Mm. and saying, Mm. can we just cuddle and hang out? And feeling the permission to do that has actually been a newer thing as opposed to feeling the pressure. When I started working with patients years ago, that was where my energy went. Mm. And I would come home to a partner and I was like, I have nothing. Not nothing. I just didn't have the interest to offer more in a certain way and didn't feel I could actually say no mm-hmm, without mm-hmm. disappointing. Without So I would say that. So he has a felt experience of being a mother too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that normalizing or even like speaking to the ways that we use sex as like meaning yeah. something about yeah. like this is our only way of creating connection. intimacy and having yeah. connection. Intimacy. Or and this yeah. is the difference between a friendship and a partner. Yes. yes. And so, like, if I'm not doing other types of penetration, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. then we're just friends, right? Yeah. And that's scary. Hmm. Yeah. And bringing the sacred friendship back into our romantic relationships. Mm. I think we don't have enough of that, and we need to prioritize that more. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Mm. I mean, I wish I could also say fun things like puppy play or some crazy shit for you, but... I mean, okay. you I'm just fascinated. But I'm, I'm like, hoping Vanessa's is going to be. What do people do? What about TV? Yeah. I kind of feel like mine's going to be boring too, but I would like to say something like open relationship, but I feel like I've been asking for that in pretty much every relationship I've ever had. Mm. <laughs> it's just not really reciprocated. But I think kind of similar to yours, I think it's been actually, I guess this is twofold. So asking for what I need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm which is why I jokingly said, like, spoken like a true man, communicating your needs, who knew? I think that that's new for me. Yeah. So whether that's an in-the-moment sexual need, like, I like this, I don't like that. Yeah. Mm. Crazy to say that I'm almost 40 years old and I'm just now starting to experiment Mm. with finding my voice in that way. Wow. 
which is weird because I have a voice in every other area of my life. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to intimacy, that's usually where I lose my voice. So I think just in general asking for what I need, but that also includes what I need might be not this. Mm -hmm. So to what you're saying, which is for the first time in my life, giving myself the permission to say, I don't want that. Yeah. And then just letting the other person feel however they're going to feel about that. Mm. Wow. And not trying to fix it for them. Oof. I'm still working on it. Cheers. Amazing how much codependency Cheers. shows up in the bedroom as well, right? Yes. Oh, boy. That's where I would say a lot of my codependency in my lifetime has showed up mm. is in the bedroom. Yeah. I don't think we often talk about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's codependency in the bedroom. Yeah. Wow. It's a whole book. I can't wait to read your book on codependency in the bedroom. bedroom. That's right. Oh, well, maybe that's the next one I'm writing. We'll see. Hey. <laughs> you going to answer your own question? It's Scott right. didn't or answer. What? What? <laughs> Why? This is not tit for tat. <laughs> Why are you measuring oh, shit? Curiosity. <laughs> it's not 50 50. I don't know if I have one. I was thinking about it as I asked it. I feel like not boring, but I don't think that there's maybe outdoors. Mm. Yeah, she has this fantasy. It, which is so weird because Fascinating. I'm she such hates an the outdoor girl, but there's something about sex and outdoors that I have like fantasies around. And Vanessa's just like, I don't believe you. I'm like, it's true. It's I like just a hol- fantasy. I think I it's have. hilarious. What's the scenery? Are we talking about like a lake house? Like, like there's a something lake? like really rugged man energy, like taking me out in the woods. In the woods. Oh, no, we're not even like, talking about like in a lake house because like if it was a bougie lake house, I could see today. <laughs> no. But like, she's talking about like really like strictly nature. outdoors. And outdoors, I'm like, you don't outdoors. even like to go outdoors. Yeah. What are you talking about? I don't know about? why it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. That's why it's a fantasy. That's why it it's a fantasy. Is I there like a blanket at least? Or are we talking about like <laughs> the leaves are your blanket? Yeah, we probably need a nature, blanket. Nature. If it's me. If it's going to be me, we probably are going to need a blanket. But yeah, like maybe like waterfalls, like in the water, and then we go back to the blanket. It's very like outdoors. Wow. I cannot picture you having sex. Because I have never experienced freshwater situation. She makes fun of me for growing up on lakes and being mm. a lake oh, it doesn't rat. sound hot? It actually kind of sounds gross to me. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking about having sex in, in such like, a roar clean reversal. water like that or like, like outdoor water. And I'm like, You love to like infectious. swim in lakes for fun. And I'm like, do you know what's in when a I lake? Was a what is wrong with you? <laughs> Fantasies. You see this? Or shadow selves. It makes no sense. I know. Do you want to ask your next spicy question? And I will land with mine. Sure. Well, this, I guess, could be spicy or not spicy. I feel like the therapist and us are going to take it to a non-spicy place, but Should I feel like we need- Should we make a pact of spicy? Let's make a pact of spicy on this okay. one. Okay. okay. We could do both, okay. non and spicy, but okay. I want to know what is the biggest turn on for you? Oh, curiosity. Oh, wow. But I want it to be spicy. Curiosity is Curiosity is a non-spicy, and then what is the spicy turn on? Oh, God. Here comes the truth. We've talked about this, like dark sexual energy. What is that? <laughs> Like a little bit ragey, a little bit kind of scary. Take me kind of thing. Is it you who has the... No, in a partner. In a partner. I think that that dark... Yeah, like a little bit... Are you blushing? (laughs) Yes, she is. This is how I'm going to get to blushing. (laughs) Yeah, just that like aggressive sort of ravish, a little bit borderlining on scared of you energy. Mm. But isn't that interesting? Because we've talked about this, the percentage of women who actually talk about that being their fantasy and how women, it's like a shame, a thing we have like shame about, but Mm -hmm. it's actually a really high percentage of women who have a fantasy of being ravished, like being taken, that kind of dark sexual energy. Interesting. It's really, it's like what, 80, 70 something percent or something crazy, 80%. And I think it's such a, until I had experienced 
a glimmer of that energy, I would have never thought, mm. oh, that's unbelievably arousing. But I think it is. And I think that is the shadow aspect of ourselves that I mean, we could get into a whole yeah. Freudian whatever that's about. But I think that that's something that is very common. Mm. Mm. But for me, it's the darkness. The darkness. The darkness. Yeah. And curiosity. Very emo. Curiosity. <laughs> Can you repeat the question? <laughs> What's your biggest turn on? But you can, you got to go the spicy version and you can do the unspicy okay, version. Okay, definitely the non-spicy version, which really is my spicy version, mm -hmm. is really consistent communication. <laughs> it so just, I know, it just does it for me. I recently shared something with the person I'm dating and they took it in and applied it without me knowing. And I was like, so hot. Oh my Ooh, I God. I just felt like that's so hot. Oh, I like had a tear come down my yeah. face and I was like, let's do this. These are the over-functioners yeah. in the room. With the yes. Type. I'm like, I, I feel that energy from the, I'm like, that turns y'all on. Really? Yeah, that yeah. does it for you? Yeah. Aww. And a spicy turn on. Mm. I'm such a demisexual and such truly communication. Oh, it just does it for me. Great follow-up questions. Like do in it. the bedroom? No. Oh, in, <laughs> just life. in life. I'm like... I asked something and there's a great follow-up question. I was like, oh, well, you're being take seen. off your clothes. Yeah. Being seen is my greatest turn on. Yeah. yeah. It's super sexy to be yeah. seen. Yeah. Again, I wish I had something to say like my biggest turn on was like big biceps or, or some shit like that. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, that's it. I can totally resonate with that though. Being yeah. seen is like one of the biggest turn ons. Woo. It's hot. It is hot. It's, is that your spicy and your non-spicy? No, my non-spicy, I would say similar. It's like safety, consistency. Mm -hmm. It's funny because when you say it out loud, safety doesn't necessarily elicit like a sexual <laughs> response. And yet to me, consistency is one of the sexiest things. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, we could analyze that as being like a lifetime of like words and actions not aligning. And so sure. when you're in alignment and your words and your actions align, there's mm. just nothing Hotter, like take my clothes off right now. <laughs> so that for sure, safety and being seen, I think are two of the non-spicy ones. And then mm -hmm. I guess spicy, yeah, I think similar to you. I think it's dark sexual energy. Mm. But I actually think that the spicy needs to be interwoven with the non-spicy for me. Yes, you have to have a level of safety to feel okay going to the darkness. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. They definitely can't exist without Agreed. the other person or without the other side mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. But it's funny because I was just thinking as you were talking about communication, there's, the, the, of course, Sex and City episode where Miranda talks about not wanting to be verbal in the bedroom. And she's like, oh. it's the only time, and I think she says, my exceedingly verbal life where it's perfectly acceptable to shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I just have to say, I really wish we like gave that more credit because yeah. everyone likes a dirty talker. Everyone wants to talk in the fucking bedroom. And as far as I'm concerned, can we just all shut up? Oh. <laughs> Do you like a dirty talker, Scott? I like, I like sound. I like reinforcement that someone is feeling good and <laughs> yes. satisfied. Like I don't want like mute, right? Like I no. like a good sound, but I don't want to be stumped for conversation. Yeah. I feel like sometimes people watch too much porn and then totally. bring it in the bedroom and it's totally. inauthentic. Yes. And they'll say things like, yeah, I love your big muscles. Yeah. And I'm like, who are you talking to? <laughs> I know you're not talking to me. I just started working out a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking to? It's amazing. You know, like it just feels inauthentic, right? So it feels like fake and forced. Yeah. Yeah. I know. yeah and I know some sounds. people disagree. Like some people are really into people it. Are into and it's it. not to shame that. It's just no. for me, I feel like maybe again, because it's like I'm an extroverted talker. Yeah. I just I don't want to talk. 
Just do it. This is your sacred <laughs> quiet space. Yes, this is my time to not put on a show already. Jesus. Oh, wow. I yeah. think that's true of massages. People that talk during oh, massages, there's worse. a special place. <laughs> nothing worse than a massage therapist Why who tries to have a conversation to with me. <laughs> I'm trying to relax. I can see that with sex. All right. Final question okay. of social penetration theory game mm, okay. of getting to know each other. I feel like I'm getting to know each of you mm. better. This is a simple one, which is in a way for us to sort of also find a landing, which is what was your favorite moment from our time together today? Oh. Don't all go out We're looking at each other in deep play, like, <laughs> what is that? Yeah, I don't know. There have been so many. No. I felt seen when you said, I think we're going into a deeper layer of you, when mm. I said something about like it being hard for me to be messy. Mm. It felt like... You saw me, you saw like how much of my defense mechanism can be a little bit like the shifted into, you know, making meaning. And I felt mm. your intuition in that. And I can tell when someone is like intuitively picking up on something. Mm. And then maybe just like Vanessa and I, whenever we're talking about our friendship, it just makes me feel really lucky to have her. So mm. there's that too. Mm. One of the things that I've learned is a very common thing for the neurodivergent brain Hmm. is to do the me too, me too, hmm. let me tell you a story about me, me too, me too, which can be very annoying to people who are neurotypical because it is seen as kind of like a one-upping, yeah. but it is not the intention behind the neurodivergence way. It's like the way that we connect, right? But I felt like there were a few moments in the conversation where without actually doing the thing of one-upping, we all kind of had like a, oh, me too kind of hmm. moment. And those moments in connection always are like fuel for me. Mm. I love the moments in any conversation where you're like, oh, me too. And it's like that little excitement of like, it's like a moment of connection. We're more similar than we are different. Mm. So anytime I get a little burst of that, it like really lights me up. Mm. Me too. Beautiful. Me too. <laughs> what about you, the chorus of mmms. Oh, the therapy mmms, the therapist mm, The therapist mm, Like mm. at one point I think we all did mm together. And I was like, I felt we, we were an acapella group of mmms, of mmers that really warmed. People <laughs> listening are like, oh God, these therapists. But I love that you help heard it. it because yeah. I feel like people comment on our mmms a lot and we don't even like we're hear them a lot of times anymore, but mm. that's so real. <laughs> Could we end with just an mm together? In harmony. In harmony. Mm. <laughs> we'll try that again. You're like, Danae, you were flat. Danae, you were flat. You were a little pitchy, Vanessa. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll try Follow it. me. It's the smokers. Danae <laughs> mm. mm. and Vanessa, thank you so much for being on the Gently Used Human together. Mm. I love you both. Thank and you. thank you for deepening our friendships together. We spicy penetration. Spicy penetration. For all the spicy penetration. And for all those of you who are listening or watching, thank you for joining our spicy social penetration theory game <laughs> and deepening with us. We love you as well. We hope well. we offended you Thank you for listening to the Gently Used Human podcast with Dr. Scott Lyons and friends. Visit GentlyUsed.com for fun extras, including submitting your questions for advice from a Midwestern mom. And don't forget to spill the tea and gossip about the show with all your friends and frenemies. 
and show some love by giving us five stars and leaving a review in your favorite apps. This helps us connect with all the other gently used humans out there. Oh, and by the way, you look fierce today.